Good morning. <laughs> Take your Bible now, will you, and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I wanted to say welcome to you. A special welcome to Jean and Joy Sturdivant, who are celebrating anniversary number 65. Sturdivant, please stand up a minute. God bless you. So if you have any questions about marriage and problems and how to get along and how to love each other for 65 years, see the Sturdivants. God bless you. Special welcome to you. I'm glad that you're here. We're, we're continuing our study of the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus we call Ephesians. We're in the sixth chapter and only a couple more messages in Ephesians. This has just been an incredible, wonderful study. And Paul ends it with these words about being strong, being strong in the Lord. This is just a crucial passage in the Word of God. Not one often focused on, nor probably understood, and something, frankly, that a lot of us would just as soon avoid. So I want you, as best you can now, to put on your seatbelts and focus on the Word of God and open up your mind to God's spiritual truth about how it is He wants us to live. And particularly, I want... I want to ask you to think about your life and where are you right now? And as we've worked our way through Ephesians and you've heard some about how what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, these incredible blessings that he's given to us in Christ and how God calls us to walk worthy of the calling that God has given to us. And now he's going to end with this exhortation and instruction and teaching about stand. I want to ask you, what's happening to you in your life? Where are you and how are you growing? So have you found Ephesians 6 yet? Take a Bible in the pew in front of you if you haven't already. Would you stand together and let's read a few verses of the Word of God together. We will read Ephesians 6 beginning with verse 10 and down. Just do verse 13 and next week we'll pick it up at verse 13 and 14 and go on about the armor of God. Paul writes this, Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Pray with me, would you? Father, again we come to you and thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. We lift up Christ now and we worship him. And we thank you, Father, for loving the world so much that you would send your only son. Thank you, Father, that you give us this word that it's possible to be strong in the Lord. And I ask, Father, that you would do what only you can, that you would open up our minds to spiritual truth this morning. That you'd protect us from the evil one who wants to deceive and distract us. And Father, that you would do something in us that only you can. That you would help us to see the kingdom at work in our lives, in our community, in our church, and around the world. I pray that you would reveal things to us that will help us to stand in Christ and to be strong. Lord, speak to every one of us. We need you to speak to us, not a preacher, but you. Father, help us, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So the first thing I put in your notes is we, we 
must know we are in a battle. We must know that we are in a battle. And Paul closes Ephesians with this understanding that we are in the midst of a conflict, a battle. I don't know about you, but I sometimes just forget that I'm in the midst of a battle. I, I, sometimes I think times are hard. We ask each other how we're doing, you know, how's things going. We say, okay, or it's a difficult time. Sometimes we just think it's about circumstances or chance or think good things are happening or bad things are happening. And, but I want to tell you that the Word of God tells us that there are reasons why our lives are not the way that we want them to be. If you look at your own life and you're like me, you think, you know, it could be so much better. I could be so much better. You ever think this to yourself? I mean, I'm not experiencing everything that I want to experience. And then I look at the world and it's sometimes it's frankly discouraging. This world is like this immensely beautiful place and this incredibly terrible place also. You can go home and take your newspaper out and see it. Just one more time every day. The absolute terrible place this world is. And yet it's absolutely incredible too and wonderful and beautiful and God's sweet creation. What is this? What is, why is that? Paul would say, we're in the midst of a battle. We are opposed. We have enemies. There are powers and forces at work that we frankly don't even see. And sometimes we just neglect that or we don't even know it. And, but we see the implications of it and the consequences. We see the casualties. We see the danger, we see the wounds, we see the heartache, we see the violence sometimes. We see the results of this conflict in the physical realm, and we see the destruction of lives of people, but we, we sometimes just forget that there is this incredible battle going on, this unseen battle that sometimes is visible and other times is invisible, because even the battle results in, in hurt in people's hearts and, and in their lives, and you don't even know sometimes how damaged they are until something happens. And then, then it's like, if you're like me, it's like surprise. You know, I mean, you, you go through life, and this ever happened to you, where you know this couple, and you've known them for years and years, and one time you get together with them for coffee, and, and one of them says, we just want to tell you, you're our friends, we're getting a divorce. And I go, what? I, I, I had no idea. How was or you say, you know, I haven't seen so-and-so, you know, at church for a while. And then somebody will say, well, you know, they don't go to church anymore. Or somebody will say, that person has, you know, they told me they don't, they don't really think they believe anymore. Or somebody that you know, you can see this thing developing in their life where they just become increasingly angry or frustrated. Or, and you can't quite figure it out, and then they become anxious. Or maybe somebody just it seems to be moving in this whole thing of gets so discouraged. I remember a phone call late at night right here in our church family, and someone said he killed himself last night with a pistol. I thought I had no idea. Why does this kind of stuff happen? Somebody will say to you, just out of the blue, you know, they'll just admit that they have been. Victim of a controlling addiction for 20 years in their life. Are you like me where you're surprised by this stuff sometimes? And after a while you hear so much of it you don't get surprised anymore. But you wonder what, what is going on? What, how does this kind of thing happen? Paul would say, look, this kind of thing happens because we're in the midst of a battle. And you've got to know that you're in a battle. The other thing I put in your notes is we are called to struggle in this battle. We are called to a struggle. We fight. We must fight. The word struggle is, is, the Greek word was used in, in terms of a hand-to-hand combat. This is not like thumb wrestling. 
You know, this is this is it was used in the arena for wrestling. It sometimes resulted in somebody's death or in the arena for a hand to hand combat. I don't know about you, but I would love to have a life without struggle. Wouldn't that be great? It's hard to even imagine a life without struggle. Can you imagine a life without struggle, without battle? It's called heaven. And it's not yet, you've noticed. And so in the midst of this, we're in a battle. But it's not the kind of battle that we might think of in terms of a battle. If you're thinking of a battle or conflict, you're probably thinking in terms of guns and, you know, or, you know, buffing up our physical muscles or the weapons, you know, that we're going to fight with our bombs and airplanes and missiles and those kind of things. But this is not this kind of a battle. It's a different kind of battle. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he told them this. This is 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 4. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. There's a battle going on. We're struggling this battle. And there are weapons that we fight with, but they're not the weapons that we tend to think of. And it's not even the kind of conflict that we tend to think of because we're so wrapped up in the world's conflicts or when we think about conflict and and battle or we think about times in our life where we were involved in a struggle, a battle, and almost always it was about somebody or some nation or somebody else. And so the next thing I want to say to you that what Paul is saying here is our struggle is not against people. It's not against people, which is a surprise Our struggle is not against people. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, which is another way of Paul saying about people. When When you have conflict and difficulty, like right now, if you're in the midst of one right now, probably somebody's face is pretty obvious to you. And for some of you, it might be that it seems like evil is working through this person, so you tend to focus on the person. We can we tend to focus on people because we can see them, and we can see the evil things that people do. And somebody does something absolutely horrible, and we focus on the person. But then when you go deeper, when you try to figure things out, you begin to realize that, well, how could a person do something like that? You ever wonder about some of the violent things that have happened here in America in just the past few months? How can somebody kill children? What? what? That, that happened here. It was horrible. My friends, it's happening all over the world. It happened again in Nigeria for the second time in a matter of a few months where they rounded up a whole bunch of children and school teachers and killed them all and burnt most of them alive. What? How does this kind of thing happen? What? And we focus on people. And Paul says we're called to a battle, we're called to a struggle, but it's not the kind of battle that you might think it is. And we don't use the kind of weapons that you might think. The conflict that God has called us to is primarily a spiritual conflict. Now, here's where it gets difficult for people, for me too, is that we tend to think of the word spiritual like spirits, Casper the friendly ghost. He's like a spirit, right, isn't he? You know, so... So we tend to minimize, we tend to think of the physical things of the world, the body and the physical things as like the most real things. And when somebody starts talking about spiritual things, we tend to think of those like ethereal, not, re- not tangible, you can't touch them, so they're not as real, they're invisible, and so it's, it's like not as important. It's like the physical is the most important thing and the spiritual is like the, is less important. And so we have a tendency to think that way. But then when you read the Word of God, you realize it's really the other way around. That the Bible says that God is a spirit. And that there are spirits. 
And there are spiritual beings like angels. And angels, for example, have the capacity to move between the presence of God and appear on earth in a tangible physical form. Is that weaker or stronger than a human being? My friends, that's stronger. When you open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 13 and you read about the resurrection and the Bible says that we're going to have new resurrected bodies and it describes them as glorious and 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 not, won't decay or, or deteriorate. And one of the words, you, you're going to have a spiritual body. Now, some people think, well, that means we're going to be like Casper, you know, floating around in a cloud playing a harp. No, no. That means you're going to have the kind of a body that's going to enable you to stand in the presence of God and not be consumed by his holiness and glory and also to walk on a renewed heaven and earth and love people and touch people and eat food and ride horses and have fun. And and it's going to be amazing. That's the kind of body you're going to have. A body, something like the resurrected body of Jesus that could do all kinds of things that we currently can't even do. I want to tell you that spiritual is not less than physical. Spiritual is... Where we're headed. Praise God that's where we're headed. I hope you know this. It's essential then that we don't focus on people because our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's about evil. It's about it's a battle against evil. And the people do evil things because of there is a power of evil. Of course, there are sometimes when evil people have got to be opposed and they've got to be restricted and you know, or they'll continue to do more terrible things, but Basically, our conflict is not about people. So if you're thinking the warfare and the struggle and the battle is primarily about somebody or some, you, you begin to realize that if, you know, if that evil person is taken away, somebody else will take their place. And the, the conflict is not against flesh and blood. So I put in your notes, the other thing that Paul says is we must know our enemies. We must know our enemies. And then he names them. But he names them in general kind of ways, and he doesn't tell us a lot of detail. Some people are fascinated by this and want to study it, and they go very deeply in this whole thing about the names of the enemies. And they, some people say that they have revelations about this. All I can say to you is that the Bible tells us very little, and I think the Bible tells us very little on purpose, so that we won't get incredibly weird. Because we do get, if you focus on the evil one or the evil forces, you will get weird, I promise you. And plus, the tendency is to go so far into that, you begin to give more glory to to Satan than you give to Christ, which is just wrong. So, the Bible says to us, look, one of the enemies we have, of course, is the devil himself. His name is Satan or Beelzebub. He has lots of names, and almost all those names are description of terrible things that he does. Jesus exposed him in John 8, 44. He said he's a liar and he's a murderer. He was a murderer from the beginning. Why do people murder people? I want to tell you the evil one is involved. He inspires murder. Do you know that he wants to kill you? Do you know that he wants to kill your children and your grandchildren? Do you know you have that kind of enemy with that kind of vicious, just absolutely evil desire? The devil is the leader of what Paul calls the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He, he, he calls them rulers, authorities, the powers of this dark world. Don't ask me what these words mean because I don't really know. I'm not sure if Paul totally knew either, but I think Paul had an insight and probably a revelation there, you know, an understanding that we don't have. When I look at those words, I tend to think Paul is talking about there are levels of spiritual beings. Just like there are levels of holy angels, apparently, there are also levels of evil angels. I think what God did in the very beginning when he created angelic beings, these spiritual beings that we call angels, that he created them with different abilities and powers and positions and responsibilities. 
And so when you look at the Bible, you find some clues about some of this, but you can't go into very much detail because the Bible doesn't tell us very much. But what the Bible does tell us is that there is a dominion of darkness. This is Colossians 1, 13, Colossians 1, 12 and 13. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. By the way, this isn't the Star Wars dark side. You know, you just... Maybe Lucas got it from this, I don't really know. But I want to tell you, there is a dominion, a ruling, a kingdom of darkness. And the Bible says we in Christ have been set free, transferred out of the kingdom of darkness, and transferred into the kingdom of light. There is a kingdom of dark and there is a kingdom of light. There is, there is a dominion that's ruled by evil and there is, a, there is a kingdom that's ruled by holiness and right and glory. In Colossians 1.13 he says, He has qualified you to share in the inheritance in the... The inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. One of the great characteristics of glory of heaven someday is going to be light. Because light is one of the manifestations of the very glory of God. And it's going to be beautiful. So there are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What is the heavenly realms? We've seen that already in Ephesians 1 and 2. And again, this is mysterious, but... The, about the best way I know how to explain it is, is that the, the Bible uses the word heaven in different ways. There is the, hev, the physical heavens of God's creation of stars and sun and moon. and the, We call that the heaven, the physical heavens, if you will. And then there is a place called heaven that is the throne of God. And sometimes the Bible calls that the highest heaven. But then there is like this place in between, if you will, that maybe is about our atmosphere or something it's around us and it's called the spiritual realm and paul told us in ephesians 1 and in ephesians 2 that that we are seated with christ in the heavenly places in the heavenly realms that there is a spiritual reality about our union together with christ that god has done that that this is part of the new birth we have a new place a new identity a new creation a new humanity and that's why he says of course live differently and walk differently and now he's going to say, be strong in battle. And the battle is happening in the heavenly realms. What, what I believe he's saying is, is that these evil forces are right here among us. Just like angels are around, so the evil angels are around. You say, well, how many of them are, are there? I do not know. It doesn't ever say that Satan is omnipresent or omniscient, that he can be everywhere or is everywhere. So when you've been tempted, it's unlikely that, the, that Satan himself did it. It might have been one of his workers. I don't really know how all this works. Some people think they do. I would just say to you, we need to believe the, at least the fundamentals of the word of God. There are evil angels. The Bible calls them demons. Of course, the world thinks we're nutty to believe this. So what do you think? you believe there really are evil angels? I mean, really. I mean, no, seriously, really. If there are holy angels, the Bible says there are, and there are evil angels. What the world will say is, you don't really believe that, do you? I mean, the world will sort of lump them together with ghosts and with zombies. We'll make movies about that, you know, demons. And you've seen some of the movies, and some of them are... Just goofy, and other ones are frightening. But why is there such incredible violence and evil? And why are people crushed? Why are people killed? Why, why are whole nations? You ever wonder about these things? 
The Bible says that the devil is the head of a host of what are called fallen angels, rulers, authorities, power, spiritual forces. Apparently there's some kind of organized hierarchy at work here. On the holy side of angels, you, you see some clues in the word of God. For example, it seems like the angel, the, the angel Michael is like at the top of the pile, if you will. He's called an archangel in Jude 9. Archangel. It's like, yeah. Then there's Gabriel. Remember Gabriel? Is, you know, he's the messenger of God. He's the one that came to Mary and told Mary, you're going to have a child. He appears to Daniel and in Ezekiel and other places. Then there are these creatures called seraphim. I want to see a seraphim. Right, right, and cherubim. What, what's with the cherubim? You know, I mean, they're not little guys with, you know, boat. This is not. No, right. You know, the world has trivialized this. You know, but the Bible uses the words. You know, and then there's this phrase in the Word of God called the heavenly host, which appears to be like all the foot soldiers that belong to the army of heaven. And beyond that, I don't know. All I know is, someday I'm going to see them and talk to them. And learn from them. And and in some ways, I'm going to teach them. Whoa. And so are you. Can you imagine a time and a place and a world, a recreated heaven and earth, where we just don't have people and maybe some animals, but we've got angels walking around? And finally, we have a similar kind of form so that we can see each other? I want to talk to Gabriel. Anyway. Okay, we need to go on. Uh, so now verse 11. The amazing thing that Paul writes here, you can turn your note to or you want to, this incredible thing that Paul writes here is now, take your stand against the devil's scheme. Take your stand. We have every single one of us in this room, we have been targets of the schemes of the evil one and his kingdom. Some of you are being targeted right now, and you probably have a sense of what is happening. The truth is that we don't know all of his schemes, but we know a lot of them. We know a lot of his schemes because we've personally experienced them, and the Bible talks about them, and other people down through history have experienced them. And there's a lot of learning and understanding and teaching down through church history about what the devil has done and how he attacks people and what his schemes are. But there are other secret kind of things that he hasn't told us about, so... But we know a lot of them. Maybe we know most of them. Let me name a few of the schemes for you that you're already aware of, but we can just talk about them. One, of course, is simply temptations. Have you been tempted to do the wrong thing lately? Yeah, liars. How many of you have been tempted to do the wrong thing? Okay. How many of you have been tempted to not do the right thing? How many of you have been tempted to do absolutely nothing at all? Right? I mean, all this is temptation of the evil one. He's trying to, right? He does this kind of thing and he tempts us. He goes all the way back to the very beginning. Another scheme of the devil is accusations. He's an accuser. Revelation 12.10 says that Satan is the accuser of our brothers who who accuses them before God day and night. That sounds as if Satan is somehow present in the presence of God and he accuses you and me and everybody who follows Christ. If you ask me why in the world, why in heaven does God put up with this, I have no idea. But apparently this he's an accuser. Have you read the book of Job lately? Read a couple the first couple two or three chapters of Job and what you find is this thing where there's like God's throne, you can imagine, and Satan shows up. 
The evil one shows up in the presence of holy God and he accuses Job. He says, you've been taking care of this guy, Job. He only worships you because you've been taking care of him. And thus begins the whole thing about Job. But it begins with an accusation of the evil one to God against Job. Fascinating. Another scheme of the devil is lies. He lies to us. He denies God's truth. He shades it. He twists it. He opposes God's truth. It goes all the way back to the beginning when he, when he whispered in the ear of that man and that woman, did God really say don't eat of this tree? Did God really say that? You ever heard anything like that? You ever heard a whisper like that? Is this really that bad? Everybody's doing this, right? You don't want to be left out, do you? Did God really say? Right? And he moves from that, from did God really say to this one, you will not surely die. What is that? It's a lie. It's a bold-faced, straight-out lie. Because God did say, and God did say, you will die if you do this. So he's a liar. The father of lies, Jesus said. Another way that he, that he does his schemes are deceptions. He's just, he's good at deceptions. All kinds of deceptions. One of the most masterful deceptions of the evil one, I believe, in the United States of America is the deception to hide himself. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you have a strong enemy, and he has the capacity to convince you that he does not even exist, he can attack you however he wants to attack you, and you won't even know what's going on. Are you following me here? I mean, if you, I mean, if you can convince an enemy that you don't even exist, you can do whatever it is you want. Now, think about America. What does America think about the devil? If he exists, he's got this red flannel suit on and a pitchfork and little horns and we make funny films about him. But he's not really that threatening. And he probably doesn't even exist at all and you're kind of nutty and think that way. And he just goes, oh yeah. Or he goes the other extreme is that if he can't persuade you that he doesn't even exist, he persuades you that you don't have to be afraid of him because he's like a nice guy and, and hell's going to be this pretty cool place. And I've heard people say... They're okay going there. Or he goes even further and he says, if I can't persuade you that I don't even exist or that you don't have anything to fear, then I'll try to persuade you that I am so powerful and strong that you would better fear me and worship me. And hence people end up worshiping the devil. You say, how can people do that? They don't really believe he exists. Oh, yeah, they do. And they think he is to be feared and honored lest he ruin their lives. And so they worship him. Another scheme of the devil is simply false teaching or false religions. There are millions of people trapped in false teachings and false religions around the world. Do you believe that we have the essence of the truth? Not that we know it all, that we are better than anybody else, but do you, you think Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him? Do you really, do you, I mean, you really buy that one? It's like... That makes you somewhat unique in much of the world. And they don't like that idea very much. I just want to suggest to you, if that's true, then some other things aren't true. And where did they come from? You ever wonder, what, where do these religions come from? And 
And how can people become so trapped in them? I, you know, some of you have traveled around the world or you've walked across the street and you've listened to what people actually believe and you think, how in the world with the brain that God gave you did you ever arrive at that conclusion? You actually believe this and follow this? Another scheme of the devil is what I call personal philosophies. This is real strong in America, particularly. We're big on our own personal philosophies. We like the idea that I can come up with what I want to come up with. Things like, no one has a corner on all the truth. Everybody's truth is equally valid with everybody else's truth. Do you ever hear anything like this? Even though these things just absolutely collide and, they, and, and your logic tells you this cannot be true if this is true and this if this is true, that cannot be true. People say, look, your truth is not any more true than my truth. They're going, hello? You know? it's back to logic 101. Self-contradictory. I mean, my personal opinion is just as valid as anybody else's opinion. Who are you to say that your opinion is better than mine? You ever heard anything like this? And so we kind of go, oh, well, sorry, you know. Or people say religious things like, just live by the golden rule and you'll be okay. You know? Or if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you're in. Or all religions lead to the same goal, the same place. Or how about this one? Whatever works for you. If that works for you, good, good for you. I don't need that, but good for you, right? Where did that come from? That's one of the deepest kind of lies there is. But this one that I heard for many, many years, and people are not saying it so much these days, but I still hear it occasionally. You know, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Oh, really? Try that walking on thin ice. See how well that worked. You know, I think this ice is thick enough to hold me. Oh, it's not. Or how about this one, just distractions. Uh, you know, I, I think there's so many times the evil one just wants to get us one degree off of Jesus, just one degree or two degrees. Just It's really close to Jesus, but not quite. A false Jesus. Or, or a teaching or a training kind of thing to try to get us to focus on something else. How about in Oregon to worship the creation rather than the creator? Hmm. Or to worship the body and ignore the soul, the eternal soul. Or a religion without Christ. Jesus said that the word of God is like a seed and it falls on people's hearts and the hearts are like soil. And that sometimes the word of God falls on this kind of soil and the birds of the heaven, remember this, the birds of the heaven come and they snatch it up. And then Jesus explained, the seed is the word of God and the birds of the heavens, the heavenly realms, are the evil one. And he comes and snatches away the word of God from their hearts so they do not, cannot receive the word of God and believe. Think, like, whoa. Do you know that you have an enemy like this? That you are in this battle? And God's amazing promise to us in this verses and other verses, let me show you a few, is like James 4, 7. The promise of God is you can stand against this enemy. You can stand against this kind of power and capacity. With these kind of schemes, you can stand against the devil's schemes. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Really? 
The Almighty One of the evil empire will flee from me if I resist Him? How does that work, right? I mean, I mean, if He showed Himself, I think I'd be terrified. But if I resist Him, He will flee. And so what Paul is saying to us, look, God is equipping His people to overcome even these kind of forces. The other one is, is in Peter, where Peter writes, Be self-controlled and alert your enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking for someone to devour. That's a scary idea. I don't know if you've been close to a lion that's free. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Resist him, stand firm. This is what Paul says here. We are called to stand. It's a military term. It means when you're under attack, you stand your ground. You dig in and you stand. And this is what Paul's been talking about in Ephesians. First of, first of all, it was sit with Christ in the heavenly places. And then it was, and then it was walk. Walk in a way that honors God and walk in a way that's true to the calling you've been given. And now he's, stand, he's ending the letter with stand. Stand firm. In the midst of conflict, stand. So in your notes, I put, we must stand and we can stand in Christ. We must stand and we can stand in Christ. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. And then we'll talk about the armor of God. It's interesting we're called not to attack, but to stand. I don't think there's a place in the Bible that says attack the devil. There probably is a time and a place where some of us have been called by God to attack a fortress of the evil one, or where we're going after, in the power of God and God's leading, where we're going after some kind of structures of evil that have, that have shackled and put people in bondage. So I think there is a time to attack the force of evil or, or what evil has accomplished, but there isn't any indication that I can find in the Word of God that God is saying to Christians, now what you need to do is you need to attack the devil and his demons. I recommend against that. It just doesn't seem like that what God is saying. But God does say to stand and to stand firm. You notice how many times he repeats the word stand. He's into us standing. So why stand? Why not attack? Because when you stand, you are standing in the victory that someone else's, else has won. Right? We are, not, we are not called to win the war. We're not called to... In a sense, we're not even called to win the battle. The war has already been fought and won by our Savior. That's why He is our Savior, because He battled and He won. And He gave us the victory. And He tells us now, stand in it. So now what you do is you struggle, you resist, and you stand. And if God calls you to go to a place where evil is triumphantly dominating people, then you do that. But when you go, you stand. You see, what God wants us to do is He wants us to win new battles. You know, because even though the war is won, there are still mop-up stuff going on. And the mop-up stuff going on is our lives. And we have a new opportunity to glorify the Son of God by our stand in Christ. Jesus overcame. You know, He overcame everything. The Bible says, Hebrews 4.15, that he was tempted in every way like we are. He overcame hunger and doubt, frustration. He overcame loneliness. 
He overcame fear. I think he knew about uncertainty, exhaustion, discouragement. How about this one? Did he overcome lust? Was this son? Men? You think Jesus, our holy master, was tempted with lust? I think so. And he overcame. He was perfectly pure. And so many other fleshly kind of things. He had a flesh. Don't you think the devil came... If the devil came after him with bread, don't you think he came after him with other stuff too? Oh, I think so. And fear? I don't know. You can ask him when you get there. I might be wrong. But I think I'm right. So I put in your notes, we must be strong and we can be in the Lord. We must be strong and we can be in the Lord. And this is where we enter into this paradox of Christianity we've talked about before and, and that every follower of Christ really needs to understand because the Bible comes at us and the Bible tells us that we are weak. So I want to ask you, are we weak? Are you weak? Are you strong? Oh, well, which is it? I mean, make up your minds. Are we weak or are we strong? What? It's interesting, isn't it? Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. His strength is perfected in my weakness. What? So which is it? It's like, I'm weak and he is in me. Is he? And he is strong. So somewhere the battle is going to have to be about, in my weakness, his strength being able to be lived like hand, a hand in a glove. It's going to have to be something about his power at work in my weakness. And it's okay for me to be weak. It's really good for you to know this, that it's okay. In fact, it's just really brilliant when you finally figure out, I'm really weak. But then he's really strong, and this is the way it works. And have you ever thought about the brilliance of this, about how God has put this whole thing together about creating human beings and that we are too weak to battle evil one, but he puts his strength in us. And when he puts his strength in us, that enables us to be able to stand and to be able to stand firm. And that gives glory to God because it's his power, not our power. And it's all about Jesus Christ. And it overcomes the work of the devil, which is part of the purpose of God. And so he's doing this in the lives of a whole bunch of people, millions of people all at the same time. And they can't get... They can't claim any praise for themselves because they're weak and he's the one that's strong. Do you see how cool the system is? Huh? Yes. Right? I mean, it's like, how can it get any smarter than this? I mean, God has come up with a way in which we can stand and be victorious and overcome even the incredible power of the evil one through his strength in us and all the glory goes to the Savior and not to us. This is like, oh, Wow. So when any of the glory starts coming to me about my strength, then we're in trouble here. And I'm off of the system. So we must be strong and we can be in the Lord. Uh, the word strong, be strong, is, is more literally translated be empowered. Be empowered. Because if you read the word strong, the tendency, especially for men types, is to say be strong. Okay. I will be strong. Let the devil come at me. Yeah, well, you know how well that works, right? 
It's not about this, is it? Right? It's somehow God strengthened me so that I can be weak and He can be strong. His strength perfected in my weakness. This is not about me getting stronger on my own. This is not about building, buffing up my body. This is about buffing up my spiritual resources in Christ, understanding that Christ is in me and me more and more learning how to submit to Him and follow His ways and, and, and learn about what it is He's doing and to trust Him. This is about, this is like, this is about prayer. This is where prayer comes in. What's the prayer thing? The prayer thing is about God, give me what I need to face this struggle, to face this battle. I got this problem. I'm, I've got a, I need to stand for you in the midst of this struggle and this difficulty, or this enemy's coming after me. I'm wrestling with this problem, this flesh thing. The only thing that I have ever discovered in my personal, personally for me, that overcomes lust and anger and fear is the Spirit of God. I want to tell you, I have tried everything I can think of. To overcome these fleshly kind of you know, discipline, memorize the Bible, go to church all the time. Now, all these things are good, but apart from the Spirit of God, I'm, I just, <clears throat> Satan is too strong for us. But he's not too strong for us if we are strong in the Lord. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Isn't it fascinating that we're a little nervous about the Holy Spirit coming on us? Now I want to tell you, did the Holy Spirit come to you? You, you need to confess faith in Jesus Christ and get saved if you can't answer question, that question. The Spirit of God is in you, isn't he? And he come, when he comes, he comes in his power. And Jesus said, you will not, I, gee, I hope you guys will receive some power when the Holy Spirit, I'm hoping that. He said, you will receive power. So now the command of God is be strong, be strong, stand, battle, fight. And you are able in his mighty power to overcome the powers of this dark world. For years of my life, I thought Jesus came to save me so that I could be forgiven and have a fairly easy life and finally go to heaven. And then I discovered Jesus came to save me, to transform my life, to try to make me into a new, not to, to make me into a new person and, and to help me to become more and more like Jesus. And this was going to happen through struggle and enemies and, 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 and there isn't much relaxing in this whole thing. There's some rest in Christ, but there isn't a lot of relaxing. There's a lot of conflict and difficulties. And it isn't about waiting for heaven. It's trying to figure out how to glorify God now, here. And this is what he's called us to. He's called us to this conflict. So what does this mean in practice? How do we do this? You have to start first with what you're facing and who you are. What's happening in your life right now? How is the enemy coming after you? What's his schemes at work? What are the things that you look at and you think, this is just impossible? Or I've wrestled with this for so long, such a long struggle. Some of you are, I know you're, some of you are really discouraged. Some of you have moved from discouragement into depression. Others of us are afraid. We don't know whether we can take this step or not. Other, uh, some of the rest of us are just tired. We're tired of fighting this battle and God not doing something. Some of us battle with uncertainty and doubt. We're just, we're doubting right now. We can't see and we want to see, and we can't see. Some of us are really struggling with flesh. 
anger. Some of us are struggling to forgive. Some of us are just shackled with lust. And some of us have built patterns into our life and, we're, and God is trying to shake them and we're just, He's trying to set us free again. We thought we should be free from that and we're not. How do you be strong in the Lord? How do you be strong in the Lord? My friends, you be strong in the Lord by obeying his command to be strong in the Lord. Now some of you might think, okay, now preacher, you're talking mumbo-jumbo here. What does, that, what does that mean? What that means is, is that God so often gives the power that we need in the obedience and not until the obedience. There's so many times when God says, look, when you take a step, I will be there. It's like Peter in the boat. Remember? Jesus walking on the water and Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you, which is so cool, right? Command me to come to you walking on the water. And Jesus says, come. And so Peter gets out of the boat, right? And he walks on the water. For, we don't know how far. We don't know how long. You know, and you say, well, he sank. He was the only guy walking on the water, except Jesus. The other guys were going. So, I just want to say to you, it was in the process of the obedience to the command that the power came. Are you with me? Jesus often healed somebody. Remember the guy with the withered arm, the withered hand? And and Jesus said, stretch out your hand. That's cruel to say to a guy who... Right? But when he heard the command... And his mind assented to it, and he began, the brain started giving commands to the arm that he wanted to stretch out. It was in the stretching out of the arm that the power and the healing came. Are you with me? When Jesus said to the paralyzed guy, get up and take up your mat and walk, so that's cruel. You can't say that to a paralyzed guy who hasn't walked for years. And what? And then he got up, and he took up his mat, and he walked home. Remember Jesus, the lepers? Remember the lepers? Jesus saying to the lepers, look, go show yourself to the priests. The guys are still standing there in all their leprosy. And when they turned and walked and started going away to show themselves to the priests, guess what? In the process of the obedience, God did the healing. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying to you? This is about faith. The thing that's overcome the world is our faith. Our faith doesn't have any power. It's God that has the power. Remember, it's, it's, faith is like prayer. Prayer doesn't have any power. God has power, so we talk to God. We believe God because God is the one who is able. So what you must do then in this situation of your life, I want to say to you, hey, here's how you be strong. You believe God. You believe God. And then you do what God's called you to do. You stand. And you stand in His ways. You stretch out your hand. You believe what He said. You walk. You remain firm. You don't compromise. You believe God. And when you believe God through His Spirit, He will empower you. He will give you what you need for this moment. He won't give you what you need for tomorrow. You've noticed this? It's kind of frustrating. He only gives us what we need for now. And He does it in our inner being. He doesn't fix the problem. He does it in our inner being. And then He says, now stand. Now walk. Now live for me. I want to leave you with the two verses we looked at. In Ephesians chapter 3, such incredible place in the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 20. These are key verses. Paul said, I pray 
that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. You want to know how to pray for somebody? I think that perhaps might be the best possible prayer for someone. A follower of Christ, at least. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. I'm praying that God will give you what you need to be powerful, to stand in this thing that he's called you to. You know somebody who's facing a crisis, a difficulty, a temptation, a sorrow, a challenge, a wound? Pray this for them. And then tell them you're praying it for them. I'm praying that God will strengthen you. And then verse 20 was like, Now to him who is able to do amazingly, exceedingly, immeasurably more than everything we ask or think according to his power that is at work within us. I ask you again, my friends, do you believe the Spirit of God lives in you? Do you believe He's strong? Do you believe that He can give you strength in your weakness for what you face? Do you believe that the power of God is greater than the power of the evil one? Do you believe if you resist the devil, he will flee from you? Do you believe these things? Then apply them to where you are now. I'm exhorting you today to believe God for your life today. So where are you? And what is God saying to you? Pray with me, would you? So Father, we ask for that. Pray that you'd make it clear to us what it is that you are asking of us in these days, like today. What do you want of us this week? What do you want to do through us? How do you want us to stand How do you want us to depend upon the Lord's strength, your strength in us? How do you want us to be filled with the Spirit? What, In what way can you, will you bring glory to Jesus Christ through us and our lives if we will simply trust you and obey? Father, will you tell us? If you won't tell us right now, will you tell us this week? Will you say something to us this week to help us to know that you are living your life in us, that we are truly are your new humanity, and that you're doing something truly amazing and will do even more through us personally and then through us as a community. Now we are turn our attention to the Master. We're so grateful that we have a Lord who won the victory, that went to a cross for us to defeat sin and the devil and to overcome so that we can stand in his victory. Now we're going to take a piece of bread and a cup one more time. I pray that you'd help us to love the Savior and be thankful to the Savior. Thank you that you love people like us so much that you would send your only son. And that you can call us now to worship him in this moment. Let it be so, we pray, for the glory of Christ and for our joy. Amen.